The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. crap welcome back what is going on guys welcome back to another episode of the anchor point podcast episode number 13 it's been a minute it's been a hot minute uh but i was out in the middle of the desert doing fun stuff with some fun people and uh yeah i had a great time so the crew that was hosting me you know who you are thank you i had a great time with you guys hope i did uh, excellent work for you guys and drink a lot of coffee especially in the morning well yeah gonna have to Coffee's kind of like the lifeblood of our career. Caffeine and nicotine makes the world go round. Speaking of coffee, this episode is going to be brought to you by the official, unofficial sponsor of the Acre Point Podcast, Hot Shop Brewery. Go out and check their coffee out, and uh, yeah, it's good. It's actually good coffee. I don't drink dog shit coffee, and uh, I'm pretty sure that you guys don't appreciate dog shit coffee either, so go get you some good stuff. Go get you some Spotfire or some Scratch Line. Or some night shift espresso. They do five pound bags. They do one pound bags. It's good stuff, and you know it, it's it's coffee. It's good coffee for a good cause. Uh, don't drink crap and uh, support a good cause. Portion of the proceeds go to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So swing on by www.hotshotbrewing.com. Pick yourself up a T-shirt. Embrace that firefighter culture, and pick you up some good coffee and support a good cause. Anyways, enough about coffee. Today on the show, I've got Dr. Minda O's. She is a practicing clinician, and uh, she's been doing it for quite a long time now, and she specializes in first responders, and she even does some work with SISM teams around here uh, for the feds. Uh, yeah, she is also recently the author of a book called Fully Involved. It's basically a guide for being in a relationship with a firefighter. So, husbands, wives, pick up this book. It's awesome. You can find it on Amazon. It's going to give you some more tools in the toolbox to deal with the bullshit that your firefighter husband or wife gives you. Also, vice versa. It's a two-way street. We'll talk about that in the episode. You'll find out. But anyways, yeah, we cover a lot of stuff in this episode. We, uh, I think it's a perfect follow-up episode to Mr. Gary Atterbury. Because now we get to see what it's like from the clinician's point of view. We talk about mental health. We talk about love. We talk about sex. We talk about relationships. We talk about her book, Fully Involved. So, listen up. You might get an extra couple of those tools for your mental health toolbox. And without further ado, episode number 13 with Dr. Minda O's. Welcome to the Anchor Point. And 
our fire seasons are going later, so we have to be patient longer. Oh, yeah. It's a marathon these days. It's not a sprint anymore, just like Randy Brooks was saying. Yeah. Did she read the book? She hasn't picked it up yet. Uh, I oh. finished it just recently, and I'm going to pass the torch, so to speak, to her. So, yeah. To see if she likes it or gets something out of it. I think she'll. Uh, it'll open up a new perspective, because it certainly opened up a, a, a wide area of self-reflection for me. Yeah. And I think that'll open up her eyes of why the way firefighters are the way they are. So yeah. I think the thing too, that for me that I've heard the most is, um, even for the firefighters is it's not like earth shattering information. It's that I gave words to, you know, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You just didn't like know it was a problem or have words for it. Cause guys are like, Oh my God, I've been doing that for years. So it's not new. It's just, I think I gave it words. Yeah, you put things into perspective, you know, and we all have yeah. those like blind spots in our personalities. Mm -hmm. And if you're to like, with, with the way you put it into words, it reveals that so we can be better uh, yeah. husbands, better boyfriends, whatever, or yeah. better wives, whatever. So it's That's pretty cool. interesting. Yeah. So you ready to do this? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Dr. Minda O's. What's going on, Minda? Not much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. How you been? I'm good. I'm really good. Been busy with my firefighters, but things are good. Nice. Yeah. So you are the author of Fully Involved, which I which the listeners can't see right now, but I'm holding it up to you in front of this FaceTime thing that we're doing, but hey. Fully involved. It's um, a guide for being a in a relationship with a firefighter. I just recently picked this up and read it, and I thought it was amazing because it adds perspective to why I am the way I am. And that makes me relate to my wife a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and it gives you a perspective of what goes on in our brain, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it's uh, it's a very valuable thing in the toolbox that we can have. Well, yeah. And for me, the biggest thing is, is we're talking about mental health uh, a lot for our first responders. But I think the component that was missing and still is missing is who you guys go home to. You know, we're getting all of this PTSD and all this mental health stuff. We're getting it, but no one's told us kind of what to do with it or how to deal with it. So I'm hoping that we can add that layer. I like it. It's very interesting. It's uh, we'll, we'll get to that later, though. So let's go over introductions. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you do, Minda? So I am a psychologist for first responders. Um, I didn't start with that. You know, when I got my license, I started with kids and adolescents and then just moved in to the first responder community. I've been doing it for six years and um, I just, I only work with first responders and their families. I, I see their kids as well, or significant others in their lives, just to kind of help them give perspective. Uh, for me, it was personal because uh, I was a first responder. I worked on an ambulance for five years, and then um, I married a first responder. Uh, so that was a perspective. I thought I knew what I was getting into, but I did not have a clue <laughs> how to be married to one. It's different, that's for sure. Uh, I, well, I can imagine it's different. I'm I'm the first responder in my yeah. relationship, so uh, I can't imagine what my wife puts up with because I'm not walking a mile in her shoes, so to speak. So right. it's funny. Uh, um, but so, how long have you been doing this? You're practicing clinician for how many years now? Fourteen years. I've had time. my license, and um, 
you know, I got my, my MFT, my master's, and then I went back and got my PhD. I don't know why to teach and write a book. I don't know. It just sounded like a good idea. So I've been with first responders. This is my sixth year now with uh, first responders. Okay. And what do you primarily specialize in? Just, uh, I mean, what do you do besides, um, acting as a right court or a uh, counselor for first responders. Do you, what well, I have do? an office, so I do see people in my office for, you know, the regular kind of stuff that you would think I see them for marriage stuff, anxiety, depression. I do a lot of work with the PTSD, um, and EMDR. Um, but I also teach, um, I go out to different departments and teach, uh, different topics, you know, suicide awareness, compassion, fatigue, uh, you know, wellness, I, I do teach those. And then I do speak uh, at different conferences about those same kind of topics. Okay. And uh, when did you, or why did you start getting into this? Uh, there was a reason, obviously, that you got into this. What was your reason? Well, I remember um, when I was a first responder, and I remember those calls still, you know, it's been, I've been out of the field for 23 years. And there's calls that I remember still clear as day. There's still triggers for me that I really wasn't aware of. And then just dealing with, you know, my husband and trying to get our marriage to a place that I was happy with um, and raising kids. And I just thought, you know what? These first responders give so much to everybody else. I want to be there to help them so they can finish 30 years and come out somewhat mentally healthy um, to enjoy their retirement. Somewhat intact mentally. Somewhat intact. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy thing that uh, with well, municipal departments, what they go through, EMTs, firefighter, paramedics, mm -hmm. what they go through. But also, you've gotten into more of working with wildland as well. Yeah, I. You know what's crazy is is in the the last six years, um, my husband and I looked at the. Um, my call outs, because I do a lot of call outs where there's a line of duty death or a suicide or a major injury. You know, now the system is getting better about calling clinicians and better about culturally competent clinicians, which is a huge thing, a component that makes that system work. So I've run over 25 line of duty deaths and suicides in the last six years just with the Forest Service. You know, this is actually a perfect follow-up episode to the Gary Atterbury episode that I just recorded last. So let's get your perspective from okay. the SISM and the culturally competent clinician. Mm -hmm. I am so stoked that you use that terminology right there because if I experienced a traumatic event and I needed to seek help, I'm not going to trust Joe Blow clinician. It's no. not going to work. I'm not going to get any value out of that. No, and, and that's the most important thing, and that's where SISM failed previously because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so you just get a clinician that the EAP gives you, and you assume it's going to – they're all clinicians. They know what they're doing. The difference is, is that FIRE literally is its own culture. It has its own rules. It has its own language, um, and it's very tight-knit. It doesn't matter what patch you have. You, it's all family, and we don't let anybody in the family, just anybody. No, we don't trust. We have a, a natural xenophobia, if you will, of <laughs> outsiders, you know. We do, we for sure. We definitely and have our so, tribe. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I said we definitely have our tribe. Oh, we do, definitely. And, you know, and so that's where I think the difference became uh, noticeable was when, and I remember the first call that I went on 
for Forest Service. It was kind of an accident that I got called. Um, and they, the peer supporters were like, oh, you are from FIRE? You know, you know the language. I have the attitude that kind of goes with it. You know, I can pretty much take whatever and I joke. I'm very sarcastic. And so there's not much that offends me. And so they really liked it. So they started calling me more and realizing how much better and more effective the SISMs were when you don't have to explain stuff to me. You know, I know the hotshot language. Um, I know what, you know, buggies are. I know cut in line. I know what all that stuff is. If guys and girls in the fire service of any type have to sit there and explain the minute stuff of their job, it just gets overwhelming and you're just like, why bother? Oh, absolutely. It's a, this is the thing. And if you're going to get value out of that, you need to speak the language, like I was saying. Yeah. It's crazy. Or the, the municipal guys worry about what they always say, breaking the clinician. They always joke about breaking because they've made clinicians cry with the horror stories of some, you know, horrible accident or baby drowning. And so they're terrified that they're going to break the clinician. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand that too. And there's always that question of, you know, uh, who takes care of the caretaker, but mm. also with that level of distrust that we kind of inherently have, uh, we're going to try and like pick you apart. We want to see what you are, what you're all about. Are you as like tough as us? I guess it's, it's, a oh, weird, yeah. it's a weird thought process. And the hotshots are probably the worst, you know, oh, I at, it. When, when the first uh, hotshot crew that I did, you know, typically we don't like to do debriefings that big, but you don't dare split up a hotshot crew. Nope. That's family. So, nope. 21. So yeah. you, you do, you know, you're going into it with 21 and you have this circle of all these hotshots just staring at you. Like, let's see what you got. Oh yeah. They're giving you that thousand yard stare. Like you'd have, you have no idea what I've been through. Mm -hmm. Who the hell do you think you are? You know? And, and it, it's a defense mechanism, obviously, but once the, you, this, this is where you're especially valuable. Mm -hmm. You speak that language and you don't take shit as well. Yeah. No. <laughs> and they, and they like that. They, they like that. They like that. I'm super direct. Even in my office, when I get clients, I tell them, listen, this is how I do things. You know, I don't sugarcoat stuff. I say it like it is, but I got your back and I will be there till the end with you, you know, to get you through this. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Well, there's a lot of respect that's going to be earned from that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, it's getting there. It's getting better. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of improvements that need to be made to the whole mental health, especially from the federal side. Um, but it's making progress. It's slower than I'd like to see, of course. But you know what? There's something out there. Yeah. So. It's getting so much better from the first call I ran to now um, the SISMs are more effective. They roll out better. They're more accepted where used to be SISM had really bad reputation. Just that word. People are like, Oh no, I'm not getting locked in a room, you know, and ask me how I feel, you know, it's evolved and gotten so much better. Um, so people are more open to it and realize that it really does have value. I think it absolutely has more value now, now that I understand it a little bit better, but I've been through a couple of SISM debriefs and, uh, I, I'm, I mean, this is years ago, of course, but it was garbage. You know, it was just like it felt like an investigation. Uh -huh. But now that we've uh, approached it with a little bit more grace, I think it's going to be a, a launching platform platform for uh, more valuable SISM. 
uh, exercise. Well, I think the difference too is, is instead of going in there like gangbusters and imposing ourselves on these guys who just went through a trauma, we're more coming in more as guests, like, okay, you tell us what you need as opposed to the reverse. And I think that's what was happening. And that's, that's what needs to happen too. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be on their terms. What do you need? Tell me what you need because every call is different. You know, every line of duty death is different. They're not all the same. And so the crews or whoever's on scene need different, um, different stuff from the SISM team. And we have to be open to that. Yeah. And that, and I think another thing that we need to do a little bit, a lot better of a job of is uh, taking care of our people in the off season or taking care of that depression before it adds up to that ultimate toll of suicide, because that is a very, very large problem in the community right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, people, I, I speak on it and, you know, suicide awareness month is next month. So there's going to be a lot more conversations and, you know, the biggest thing that I, it's my soapbox is, you know, firefighters of all kinds are used to living in this high level of stress and kind of adapt to the dysfunction. And so people, I've heard people say when someone does commit suicide, like, we didn't see it coming, you know, there were no signs, what could we do? And the problem is, is for most first responders, you live at this high level for so long. So you're good, you're good, you're good. And then you're not good. And that margin of error is so small um, that that's what's freaking people out is that you're like, I was doing good yesterday and now today you're not doing good. And the, the really the reality is you weren't doing good the whole time. Um, and it's about being able to recognize some of those really, really early signs and symptoms uh, before it gets PTSD is worst case scenario. There are so many other things that lead up to that, that we could be aware of and intervening before it gets to the PTSD part. And that's an important thing too, is like taking a proactive approach to our mental health. And I think that's what we are horrible at doing is being proactive. It's like total knee jerk, yes. reactionary, stick a bandaid on it and hopefully it's good in the, in the short term, but we're not taking care of people long term. What's your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, and you know, my husband has this great saying that he says is that first responders um, perform their best in the worst situations. And so we're very, very reactionary. So we wait for the world to fall apart and we throw all of our resources on it, um, you know, to fix it and get people through it. But, you know, it's like you think about the Forest Service, they are huge about hiking and getting your stamina and, you know, endurance up so you can be out there fighting fire all day. And they're very big on that, you know. Um, municipals, they're huge on drilling, throwing ladders, pulling hose. Why are we not putting some sort of regular training on the training schedules that includes some sort of wellness or mental health that's always happening every, maybe every three months we do some sort of, you know, training on mental health. I think that should be a, a, a regular part of our, of our training. You know, and maybe, Absolutely. maybe critical 80 during those first 80 hours of training that you get preseason. Absolutely. There's something in there. Like, especially these new guys who think, you know, my son was a hot shot for one season. He was 19. You know, he was a baby and he has no clue about the effects. You know, he's just like, I'm going to fight fire. It's going to be fun. I'm going to have, you know, it's going to be exciting. That's what these young kids think. They don't realize the impact of these long hours and injuries and just all that comes with it, being away from home and family. 
it's hard to keep a healthy relationship when you're gone that many days out of the year. And so I think mental health in that class would be amazing as well as before, I think for, for forest service and BLM, I think before they get released, they need another one. I think so. Like a postseason. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause we go yeah. from, you know, you go from zero to a hundred, you know, mm-hmm. po- uh, like winter to preseason, you're training your ass off. You go from zero to a hundred back down to the end of the season where you're at practically freaking reverse. Yeah. And then, and some of these people go home to nobody. Some people don't have anybody at home or have a good support system. You know, they had this support system when they were at work and now they go home and maybe they don't have a great support system. So not only are they at home alone, they lost their support system. And the Forest Service, you know, is notorious for people like don't always live where they work. No. Um, and so they don't keep in contact with each other. And we've at Sisms, we've talked about that, you know, please stay in contact with each other, check on each other. But that's another thing, too, that's inherently a problem is we don't speak up. Mm-hmm. And I think there needs to be that there needs to be that stigma just shattered. It needs to be broken and we need to talk to each other. And we need to support each other. Yeah. We do it during the summer, but we don't do it during the winter. And I don't know where that came from, that humans think they're invincible. You know, that, that they're not, you know, that they're not going to get hurt. You know, yes, physically we know that, but I think people underestimate mental and people see if I have a mental issue or I'm weak or broken. And I, I tell my clients all the time, if the doctor told you you had diabetes, would you lie about it or pretend like you didn't have it? Or would you just adapt and adjust your life and your diet to incorporate it in your life, but still function? Well, I think there's also that element of hubris that's kind of in, like ingrained within our culture. And uh, it's just like, toughen up, buttercup. You'll make mm-hmm. it. You'll be fine. Yeah. Suck it up. Suck it you up. You know, when yeah. I was in EMS, that was that was huge. You didn't dare shed a tear. Nope. Especially of being a woman, you know, in a man's world, we, you know, we did not shed any tears. So I learned early on. And that is a survival skill. It's a positive and a negative to be able to emotionally detach so you can do a job is a survival skill that you guys absolutely need. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is reattaching to it when you get home or when you're off duty or off uh, season. Or being able to compartmentalize that and then confront it when it's appropriate. I think that's another thing that we struggle with as well. Just confronting those issues. Well, yeah. You know, you think about how long of a period you uh, are detached then when you are like, okay, you know, I could, I could probably address some of these issues. They're pretty overwhelming. You know, if you're not feeling and you're just task oriented and you're going about your day, that's easy to be work brain and be operational because it doesn't require feelings. It requires tasks and you guys are good at that. But then when you try to reattach to those feeling, that feeling side of you, then it's like, oh crap, that's a lot. I can't do that. Like that needs I'll do that later. So they keep putting it off and they keep putting it off and say, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. Well, that's the thing too, is like, we just take all those little issues and we just throw them in a pile. We throw that Mm -hmm. garbage pile, right? Garbage, garbage, garbage. I don't need it until it's just overwhelming and we need to take out that garbage and it becomes this, this insurmountable task. But that's the point is, is that if we do this preventative stuff, it doesn't feel that it's that big. You know, if you're taking the trash out every week, as opposed to every three to six months, it's, it seems doable that way. It doesn't seem as overwhelming. And that's the goal about the preventative stuff is, is that 
um, first responders need to realize that it's not if this job affects you, it's when. And when we accept that and realize we need to be proactive about it and just be constantly working on it and working on our mental health, then I think that's when the numbers are going to get better for our suicide and our PTSD rates. I wholeheartedly agree with you. So let's talk about like the psyche of a firefighter, though. Let's let's why are these problems are so prevalent? And like, I'm, I'm sure that we're all similar. This is our tribe. Mm-hmm. So could you provide some professional insight of why we're wired the way we are? Well, I think first and foremost, it takes a certain personality type to be a first responder. Um, you know, if you think about most of them are type A's or adrenaline junkies or, you know, they enjoy the excitement. Um, so that's your first layer. But then the culture in itself, like you said, one of the things that's a good and bad in first responders is they make fun of a lot of stuff, right? You never get a, a nickname because of something good you did. Nope. <laughs> no. You know that, that that's the thing firefighters of all doesn't even matter what department. If you screw up, now that's the joke of the day. Oh, yeah. And to some extent, it does help with stress and coping because you're making light of stuff. But what that does is tell tells people, oh, I better not say something or have a weakness because then they'll make fun of me and I'll become the butt of the joke. So let me look like I got it together. I don't know. Sometimes you got to come to terms with uh, something like that. I think that if you can embrace your nickname because <laughs> you you fucked yes. up wherever, you know, if you can have the ability to like confront that and own it, I think that'll help you with in that regard. But that but also is hard. The to problem do. here's the problem. I agree with you 100 percent. And here's where we get into trouble and where I see the, the split of who comes out better than the other is your personality type and your mindset. Just like you said, if you could embrace that nickname, those are the first responders that turn out okay because they don't take it as a dig. They don't take it personal. They don't get their feelings hurt or think that nobody likes me or, you know what I mean? They don't have that negative filter. If you have a positive filter and you kind of laugh it off and think it's funny and embrace it, those people are going to turn out much better than the ones that take it personal. So do you think there's internalize? Oh, sorry. Um, Do you think there's any like tools that you could throw in your toolbox to be better at um, taking those things and putting it through a positive filter, so to speak? Well, it definitely takes practice because, you know, there are some people that just tend to be more negative than others. And they've probably been that way most of their life. It's kind of personality. But you have to it is a skill you can learn. You have to practice it. And I you know, there's lots of things that I give people to try, um, whether it's uh, every morning writing like five things that you're grateful for. Because there's always something to be grateful for. And you focus on those things as opposed to the things that you're not happy about. Because those things you're not happy about are still going to be there. It's just a matter of shifting your focus to a more positive And what can you do? What can you control in your life? The problem is some people really think that they can control more than they can. And when they can't, it gets to them, gives them anxiety. It you know freaks them out. I think that's also an inherent problem with our culture, too, is we always try and take on way too much shit than we can handle. Always. Always. I, I don't know where that came from. Well, I guess it's part of just your training. You know, it is. Yeah. Well, they tell you to pick up, you know, if you see something, do something, right? Yeah. If you see something that needs to be done, do it. Don't wait to be asked. And like my, I always joke, my husband, uh, I would, you know, one of the things that spouses always ask me is like, when's it going to get better? 
it's if you're thinking in those terms, like, oh, when I get done with probation, it'll be better. Oh, when I, you know, get done with this promotion test, it'll be better. Oh, when I finish this task book, it'll be better. No, firefighters are always looking for the next thing. Exactly. And always involved in something. Taking on way more than they can put on their plate. Yeah. My husband right now is a battalion chief. He is the manager of the USAR team. He is uh, on a team. He's on a, a state team as ops section chief. And he's on the union board. That's I mean, a lot of shit. That's a lot. That's way <laughs> too much. But tell me a firefighter that doesn't. This you know, is true. have at least two things. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like we have this, uh, we have this need to succeed. Yeah. We want to get to that next step, that next betterment. You know, we want to make yeah. ourselves better. We want to be the best possible humans that we can do be in order to provide the best quality of service, yeah. whether that be wildland, municipal, EMS, whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We just want to be better. That's that type A. Oh, yeah. That's that just achiever, 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 you know, and everybody's striving to be better, which is good as humans, but sometimes too much is even too anything good can be too much of a good thing. Yeah, but the vice versa of that is if you have too little, if you're not getting those things, like yeah. uh, if you're not getting enough task books or enough training, that's going to drive you equally as freaking crazy as taking on way too much as well. Yeah, yeah, it gets mundane. You get in a rut. You get bored. You get unfulfilled. You don't get challenged. You know, I tell a lot of you know if I have guys, I actually have this guy right now that I'm seeing. He's a firefighter, and he came in because he was feeling depressed and just kind of blah about life. Mm-hmm. Turns out he hasn't taken on anything new or felt challenged in any way. And so we tried to find a a project that he could take on extra. And he did. And he's feeling alive again, you know, challenged and like invigorated and like, yes, let's do this. And I'm not going to lie. That's kind of one of these points of this podcast is the only personal reason, too. It's like this is a slow season. Let's let's be honest here. This is a slow season, which is great for the public, but it's not necessarily good for uh, the firefighter because they don't right. have stuff to do. That's our whole mission, right? We want to mm-hmm. help the public. We want to complete our mission. So this is like one of those side things that mm-hmm. is that additional burden that helps me. And I think that other people should embrace those other outside, maybe outside of work things to help them mentally as well. Feel that feeling I, of success or whatever. Oh yeah. I absolutely agree with you a hundred percent. I Uh, I harp on this constantly about what are hobbies? What are things you like? Mm -hmm. You know, if if your cup is full, the way you empty it is by doing something that makes you laugh or you feel challenged. And so it's just about adding those little hobbies, even starting a new hobby, you know, something you didn't do before. No, that's a perfect segue into the the life cycle of a firefighter right there. The cup half full or overflowing or empty, and, and well, I guess it could be uh, underfilled as well. Let's talk about that. Let's get into the firefighter mental health. Yeah, well, there are different, like I said earlier, uh, a lot of focus, and I'm really excited that there's a lot more attention and focus now on uh, you know, the mental health of firefighters. Uh, but I think that the focus has gone to the worst case scenario. But that's how, if you think about it, that's how firefighters train, right? Yeah, we show up and it's somebody's really, really bad day. Right. So you got to do worst case scenario. We train for that. Okay. Then what if this, then you'll do this. Okay. Well, what if this, then this, and you're always planning for worst case scenarios. So that's kind of where I see the shift going is just straight to PTSD. Mm-hmm. There are so many other levels that you can be addressing this issue at before we get to worst case scenario. 
which you address quite eloquently in your book. Uh, you talk about burnout and compassion fatigue, PTSI, PTSD, and yeah, it's 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 the complete life cycle of a firefighter. Like you yeah. get the anxiety ramping up going through uh, when you're going through academy or you're going through wildland academy, all the way into those unknowns. Then the future of that. I love it. Yeah. It's great. The burnout. If you think about burnout too, is um, well, and unfortunately, like you said, this is a slow year for you guys. Um, but burnout comes when it's both ends when it's a busy year and you're not getting your two days or they're rehabbing you in camp or, you know, you're not getting home and, um, those start to wear on you and you start to get irritated with the organization. You start to get irritated with the departments that you work for. Um, or maybe you have a couple of those guys on your crew that just annoy and mess up the whole dynamic, right? Oh yeah. I've had, yeah, yeah, there's a, I've experienced that in my, my, over my career. That's for sure. But and it changes again, probably, the dynamic, doesn't it? You just yeah. need one or two sourpusses and it will change the entire dynamic. And then again, I could have been that guy too. So. <laughs> right. We all could be that, right? We never know. But we you are... can see it though. You can, if you look around at people you work with and let's say they're more irritable or snappy than they usually are. Or what if they're more withdrawn? What if they go off by themselves? They have their, you know, their, um, their earbuds in and they're just kind of disengaged when they weren't like that before. You know, those little signs that you guys know each other, you live with each other. Oh yeah. You know, when somebody goes to the bathroom too much, <laughs> you know, so if they're feeling a little different or seeming a little different, it's, it's, the responsibility of you guys to like start calling it out early oh, yeah. um, and saying, Hey dude, what's up? You seem different. Yeah. And that's the thing is like uh, having the compassion to actually confront that. Cause it's not coming from like a, Hey, stop, stop effing up kind yeah. of context. It's like, Hey, what's going on? You know? And I think a lot of times though, that could be uh, if they're in that state though, they'll can, they can get defensive and they can take about it the approach. Way. It's all about the approach. Yeah all about the approach. But then again, a bunch of salty firefighters, mm -hmm. sometimes that uh, approach is misconstrued. You can ha come into it with the best intentions, but mm -hmm. it could come off as like, hey, stop effing up, you know? And that's not necessarily the case. And that's where our culture has to change. When people talk about the stigma, you know, if, if we're gonna address this and make a dent in it, you know, we have to address and those lower ends and I just, I'm super excited. This last week, I had three firefighters reach out to me because their wives said, hey, you don't seem the same. What's up? You seem like something's different. And it brought it to their attention and ended up turning out to be a positive. And we got them connected with not only peer support, but clinicians in their area because they weren't even in this area, mm. which I think is huge. And that's what I want firefighters to get to when you see somebody not acting right, right off the bat is approaching it from a good place and being like, Hey, you seem different. You know, what's, if you need anything, you know, you can talk to me or sharing your stories. Even I think when we self-disclose our own stories, that helps people open up too. Well, I think there's also like a, like an apprehension to actually exposing yourself and, uh, you're, you're vulnerable in that state. So I think there's an apprehensive uh, nature to the firefighter uh, exposing their weaknesses or mm -hmm. exposing and talking about these things. So it's one of those other stigmas that we need to break.
Yeah. And it's a work in progress. And I, I agree with you completely. I know when uh, I was doing a bunch of line of duty deaths and was burnt out myself, um, somebody was like, who are you? Who do you talk to? And I thought like, well, I'm not going to talk to anybody in my field because then they'll think I can't handle going out on any more calls. And I go. thought, oh my gosh, I'm saying the exact same thing that I tell these guys not to say. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because I've always was curious about who takes care of the people that take care of us. Yeah. Well, and I tell peers uh, a lot that uh, I think that people underestimate how much power and the weight of listening to other people's problems. And that's where that I talk about in the book too, about secondary trauma or vicarious mm. trauma. I don't have to see what happened, but I see your emotion. I feel your emotion. You tell me the story with the emotion you felt when you saw it. Um, and that I walk away with part of it, you know? And so I tell peers, please don't underestimate. And you know, there was a spell last year um, that was really hard that I got in a dark place because uh, Long Beach had, we had a line of duty death. We had our first in 44 years and that was really hard. And then two weeks after that, the Ferguson fire happened and oh, I was sent out on that. And then Brian Hughes got killed, who was a friend of mine that I had just been out on a peer support three weeks before. I didn't know he was a peer supporter as well. He just started. And um, we were, myself and Assad and him, we um, were on a call together for like three or four days, but we had a lot of driving. And so him and I were in the car for hours talking about um, parenthood and talking about my book. My book hadn't come out yet, but I was almost done. And I was telling him about my book and, you know, and then I was in, the, in camp because I was there for the, the dozer operator. And I had seen him and we talked, you know, in camp and I saw him before I left. Um, and then a few days later, you know, I found out that he had been killed and mm -hmm. that was really hard for me. You know, it really, that was it. That was my, my cup overfilled. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I, I've never met Brian, but I all, only thing is I've ever heard about Brian was he was an amazing individual. Yeah. He was super cool. He was super chill. He was, you know, he grew up in Hawaii and he had that vibe. Whatever you think you think Hawaiian pe people that are from Hawaii or grew up there, that's the vibe he had. That's awesome. Just super chill. Yeah, super chill. So, you know, the to answer your question, that was a long roundabout way to answer your question. But I think that, one, I got my own therapist last year that I go talk to periodically to empty my cup. Mm -hmm. um, and I found my toolbox has various tools in it. You can't just have one. It's just like you don't use one tool on a fire, right? Yeah, you can't just have a Leatherman in your pocket and call it good. Yeah, it won't work. Because some days, you know, working out is really my, where I find a lot of my stress relief. And so, but some days I'll go work out and I still am just not feeling it. And so I have to have other things, you know, that I do, which, you know, I do, um, I picked up Pilates. And the other thing I picked up, which is hilarious, is Zumba. It's so much fun though. But I walk out of there just feeling like, in just a great mood and it's just fun yeah well pt is important for your mental health you know and that's yeah. i think that's why we do it so much in the summer you know it just helps yeah. relieve that stress but uh in the winter time when we're coming off of a season we're just done yeah we failed well to you have to have the us. rehab let yourself rehab but then have a plan what's the plan mm -hmm. and i think some guys are like oh i'm just gonna 
relax and just get some stuff done and they don't really have a plan for the winter. And I think you should have a plan. And that's the thing too, is like, I kind of came to the realization that I need a job or something. I need to do Mm -hmm. something during the winter. I can't just sit on my ass and play video games all winter long and drink beer and just do whatever the hell I want. I need like, I need a task. I need a purpose. I need to regain some sort of purpose like I had during the winter. Even if it's volunteering, you know, volunteer at the dog shelter, volunteer if there's like a golf course near, volunteer to be a caddy, you know, just do something to stay involved. There are so many things that you can do to get involved and just to keep yourself busy. You know, sitting at home being idle is never a good idea for anybody. No, it's not. So moving on to from burnout, we talked about burnout. Let's talk about compassion fatigue. Now, you explained that in your book pretty well, but since I got you on the horn, Let's talk about compassion fatigue. Well, compassion fatigue is pretty much, in short, you just get tired of caring. And, you know, it usually comes after burnout and you didn't do anything about the burnout. So you're already just irritated on a general basis every day. And, you know, these things just keep coming at you and you just get this inability to have a feeling anymore. It's just too overwhelming. You know, we talked about kind of stuffing it away, stuffing it away. And then you just become so numb and disconnected that you just really don't care about anything, even the calls or the people that you should. So it's like a extreme clinical diagnosis of the fuckets. Yes. Zero. (laughs) I give zero fucks. (laughs) That is a good diagnosis. We should put that in uh, the diagnostic manual. (laughs) I'm being sarcastic there, of course, because this is a serious thing. And no, we we rely on our compassion uh, to do our job, especially your municipal guys. Um, Mm -hmm. Even but even goes the same thing for our wildland folks. I mean, we do this job because we care about the environment. We care about communities. We care about each other. And that's if you were to lose that compassion, Mm -hmm. that's pretty bad. That's not okay because you're losing compassion not only for what you're doing, but also the people that you're doing it with. So if you're in a leadership uh, leadership role and you get the clinical fuckets, yes. You're that's dangerous. It's really dangerous and I mean, I know you've seen it. I've seen it, you know, right before my eyes and you're just like, "Oh, that's not good." But it it does break down the team because the, you know, there'll be something that needs to be done, right? You got to go out and hike or you got to, you know, cut line or something, clean out the buggies or and somebody will lose their shit over it. And you're like, what the heck? That's not that big of a deal, but they're just done. They're tapped out. And that one more thing you ask, like, no, I don't care anymore. It overflows that cup that you talk about in your book. Yeah, for sure. And we see that. We all know it. You know, while we're talking about this right now, people listening, I bet you that they can right now off the top of their head think of people that we're describing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then maybe that's a self-reflection tool as well, because, you know, at some point in my career, I know that I've experienced that. It's like, I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, we yeah. all see. That's the thing. We all experience these things throughout our lives and our careers. It's not nothing wrong with experiencing compassion fatigue or burnout. The, what, where it gets wrong is when we try to ignore it and pretend like it's never going to hit us. Yeah, that's a thing, too. It's like you got to be aware of these things. And I think that's why your book is very valuable. It brings about that awareness and if we can bring that awareness about to our community i think mm-hmm. it's going to be making us that much more efficient and safe 
Yeah. Well, and the more we talk about it too, then like you said, those old salty guys, it won't be hard to have that conversation. Like, what's up? You know, you seem like, you know, something's going on. Is everything okay? It'll be more open. Um, and I think that when we can bridge that gender gap or age gap, rather, sorry, that we have, you know, because there was a freeze for a while. So we have some old guys ready to retire and then we've got some young guys and we're missing that middle and mm -hmm. some of the departments and organizations. Oh, absolutely. So now we're coming out into like the big elephant in the room, PTSD mm -hmm. and PTSI. And there's a, yeah. there's a big difference between the two. So PTSD is like worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. PTSI, a little bit different. Let's talk about the differences in between the two. Okay. So first of all, I don't want to like, you know, be a buzzkill, but this has been a conversation that I've been having with a lot of people. So I get the whole PTSI that, that it gives less stigma than the D, the disorder, right? But in my world and in the medical world, there is no such thing as a PTSI. It's not a diagnose, diagnosis that we have. Um, if you're looking at a lesser of PTSD, it would be a, acute stress disorder. Okay. But I get that the PTSI we're using, you know, to decrease the stigma, but I just want people to be aware that if you go through workers comp or you go see a clinician, they're going to talk in terms of the D, not the I, because we have to for insurance and for billable stuff, because those are the only diagnosis we have codes for. Gotcha. So that's a... It's just a slight difference in yeah. terminology is all it is. So That's it's all it is. Same, same thing, time. basically, but it's just in terms of understanding that if you go see a clinician, don't freak out if they are like telling you they're going to give you PTSD and you're thinking, wait, wait, it's not that bad. It's just a matter of codes for us to bill. Gotcha. So now let's talk about PTSD and what PTSD is actually is because it is oftentimes a big buzzword in our community and mm -hmm. people will say that, oh yeah, we got PTSD, but not necessarily the case according to your book. Yes, it, and it's not always PTSD. Like I said, PTSD is actually um, requires a lot of symptoms before you get diagnosed with it and it's symptoms over 30 days. So you have to have, there are four different areas that PTSD, um, that you have to have symptoms in and, and you have to have like one to two in each one for 30 days or more every day consecutively. And so if you ask a lot of people, if you really talk to them about their symptoms, they'll have quite a few, you know, like nightmares, um, the intrusive thinking where they can't stop thinking about the call. They keep looping it. Um, maybe they have a, a really bad startle reflex if you drop something. And, but that'll be it. That's not enough for PTSD. So from a diagnosis, not diagnosable point of view from the clinician. Yeah. From the clinician, you're not going to get a PTSD diagnosis with just those three things because you have to have um, symptoms in all four areas. And so, that's not just because you have nightmares, like even bad nightmares that keep you up. That doesn't necessarily mean you have PTSD. Do you have something going on? Absolutely. And that's that acute stress injury that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, and that's the thing is if we can be really proactive and understand what those are, those are addressable. Those are very 
um, addressable if you can go to the clinician. Um, I had a guy that was having terrible nightmares, hadn't slept in four or five days, and he came in to see me. We did some EMDR, and he has had fewer. He's still having some nightmares, but he's having fewer nightmares than at least sleeping <clears throat> a couple hours every night now. That's good. That's good. So that's another thing, too, is like with uh, the previous episode with Gary, um, he was clinically diagnosed with PTSD, and he saw some shit. He experienced some shit, and you listened to the episode, and it was mm-hmm. it was tragic what he experienced. Yeah. But there also, I think that a lot of these things that we're dealing with in the field, I think if they're recognized earlier, just like you are saying earlier in this episode, that if they're recognized earlier and they're hit hard and they're hit aggressively from the get-go, we could avoid the actual clinical diagnosis of PTSD. Now, is that true or is that just talking out of my ass? We can, we absolutely can reduce it. Will we get rid of it? No, because some people get, some people get PTSD from one incident. You can, the incident can be so horrific that, you know, you can be so affected that you will end up with PTSD from one incident. Mm -hmm. Um, But will it decrease our number of people getting to that point? Absolutely. If we're addressing it before, it's kind of like if I have a cut on my leg and it doesn't get better, and then it starts to get a little red, but I don't, I still don't go to the doctor for it. I think I can take care of it myself. And then it starts to like, you know, have pus around it and it just looks awful, but I still think I can take care of it. You know, after three weeks, you know, obviously it's an infection, it's septic. You need to go to the doctor and get antibiotics. That's what happens if you let these symptoms go, they fester and they grow and they become septic to you, your whole body. And now, we have tools to combat this, right? You just mentioned one of them. Uh, so how we confront these things and these toolbox for our mental health, you were speaking of EMDR. Well, let's explain, yeah. let's explain what EMDR is. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. This is why we say EMDR because that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Basically what EMDR is, it's through bilateral eye movement. So um, somebody will hold their hand, their fingers up in front of you, like a sobriety test, you know, and you'll follow, follow them and go back and forth. Um, there's other things people follow lights or tapping. The idea is, is that you have, you know, two sides of the brain, right? You have a logical side and an emotional side. And when we have trauma or PTSD, that memory gets locked in this really small part of your brain and you can't add the logic to it. So when you have the memory, you have all the emotion and you're fired up like it was happening right now. Yeah, you're stressed. But EM, yeah, what EMDR does when I'm doing the eye movement and I'm asking you, it's allowing logic to go, yeah, but you did everything you could. And then you're emotionally like, no, no, I should have done more. Then the logical side will say, but we used all the tools we had. We got there fast. You know, we got water on it or we got, you know, so it can go back and forth and help you just process it by adding the logic part to it. And it allows the brain to go through the story completely and file it. Okay. So, and now I understand that this uh, EMDR, it kind of came out of like combat uh, veterans. Yeah, Vietnam. So it's been around for a a long time and it's had huge success for the most part. Yeah, it does. It, It came out of Vietnam because Vietnam had such a huge number of PTSD and nothing was working. Mm -hmm. And so um, the idea was, is that replicate REM sleep, you know, while you're awake with the eye movement. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the beginning there was, 
you know, a lot of skeptics, but they've done a lot of research on it and found, you know, how effective it is. It's one tool you can use. You know, there's a lot of theories and different types of tools for trauma, but for me, it's the best um, that I've seen work, um, the quickest and most effective. Okay. Now, what about some uh, self-care techniques that we could use to, you know, help us assess our mental health or help us cope with some of these things that we deal with? What are, what are some self-care toolbox items that you have for us? I have a long list of those, but uh, some of the ones, and I have some that, because I get guys who go, well, I'm out on the line for two weeks. I can't do that. Uh, but I have some for you out on the line. I mean, technology has made it much easier um, to be able to do some self-care. Um, there's some good apps on on your phones for to calm you. Uh, Headspace. I really like Headspace. It's a free app that has, you know, guided breathing, you know, and that will have meditation too. And they're short. Like if you're just overwhelmed, it has a minute, two minutes, there's 10 minutes. Um, there's a tactical breathing app that, that the SWAT guys use. I got the but, tactical breather app. I love it. Yeah. And you know, it sounds corny, but it really works. All it does is, you know, how the brain gets activated for fight or flight is based on your heart rate. So if your heart rate gets to a certain level, that's when your brain goes, oh, crap, we're in trouble, release the hounds, right? And you get the adrenaline and the fight or flight. Yeah. If you can keep your heart rate down, you will reduce the amount of time that you go into this fight or flight, which will reduce your adrenaline fatigue. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that uh, the Tactical Breather app was just mentioned yeah. because, like, I'll notice it. Like, I'll look at my, I wear a Fitbit, you know, so I'm like, I'll look at my heart right now. I was like, 101 and I'm standing still. Mm-hmm. What the hell? All right. So I'll fire up that thing and just take, you know, a couple minutes and my heart rate will go down from like 101 to maybe like 70. It's, yeah. it, it, it works. It works. It does work. And it, it's simple things like that that you can do even out on the line or out in camp or even if you're spiked out. If you don't have service, um, who doesn't love music? I mean, everybody loves music. You oh, could yeah. put in a couple good songs. You could walk away for a minute, put in a couple good songs, and that even can change your mindset. Oh, yeah. Just put on some good tunes and just jam out mm-hmm. before you go to bed or when you first wake up, when you're packing your crap up. It works. It they does. Care, you works. know, and I really do firmly, firmly believe in the um, writing things down that you're grateful for. Um, you know, even if you carry a, a little spiral notebook that can go in your pack or in your side pocket of your pants, and you know, you're just at the beginning of the day before you start your day, you just write five things you're grateful for. And that's how you start your day is more in a positive mindset. It's about practicing getting that shift off of not like, oh my God, we got to go cut this same line again, or, you know, like, you know, all that stuff or oh, you know, I'm I'm dirty, I didn't get much sleep, I'm hot. No, and and that's how your day will start. And that's the attitude you'll have. So it's about shifting that and maybe getting in that positive mindset. Yeah, or like uh, one of those like shitty scenarios where you're cutting line, just securing a colder section of line, finally tie it in, and then a dozer just comes ripping by. Oh, yes. Thanks. Thanks, man. I just, I'm so glad that that hand line would have held, but you know what? That dozer line is really going to make it hold. (laughs) Yeah, or your assignment is just to guard dirt today. Uh, yeah, or water helipads or something, you know, something just trivial. But hey, you know, that's our mission. Sometimes we get, we don't get, always get the best assignments. Right. So. But you know, if you've been out there for a while, you know how that could feel crazy, like just frustrate the heck out of you. You know, it's like um, I was at the Montecito mudslides 
and I was there, you know, doing debriefings and just support. And I was standing in the chow line and this guy came and got in line and he was dirty. Obviously he had just come in off the line and you could tell he had something on his mind. He, his face looked weird. And, um, one of the guys is kind of funny because he was the deputy chief and mm-hmm. this guy did not know it. Right. Gosh. And he goes, Hey dude, are you okay? And he looked at him and he snapped and he was like, no, I'm not okay. They made me park out of the parking lot and I had to walk. And it was the parking is what sent him over. He lost it over parking. Really? Because he was just burnt out. He was tired. He was, you know, he'd been there for seven days digging and in these really rough conditions and, you know, not getting good night sleeps. And that was, that was it. That's what sent him. So it's not necessarily always going to be something big. And that's what gets, knocks people off their feet is, it may not be something big that sends you over the top. It could be something small like parking or go guard that dirt, right? Or go walk that helipad or here comes the dozer. The proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. Exactly. And then you're just, you've lost it. And now you're yelling and throwing a fit and people will think you lost your mind because they're looking at this, this current situation, not what was in the cup already. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, we don't know. Everybody's suffering is not the same. I think that's important that we recognize that. And we don't know the contributing factors to make that cup overflow, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. So starting your day with the positive affirmation, you know, five things to be grateful for, I think is an amazing thing. When you're home, you know, what is it that gives you joy? And everybody's different. I know when my kids were younger, um, watching my son play baseball, oh, it was the best. Like it just put a smile on my face and it just made my day. Um, now that my kids are older, you know, I've had to figure out different things that I like doing. You know, I picked up golf with my husband. Not that good at it, but yeah, it's I'm escape. better at it's finding fun. the beer cart than I am the golf. But <laughs> there we go. It's, yeah, picking up hobbies, especially when you can have a hobby. Yeah. Uh, with your significant other. I think that's a pretty pretty cool thing. It's, it is. It helps. It definitely helps. Well, it helps your relationship because you guys are gone so much. So if when you come home and we have a shared hobby, then we can do something together, you know, whatever that may be. And so it's about being creative. You know, don't just get like, well, there's nothing to do. Well, look around, you know, and see what do you like and what's in your area or your neighborhood that is accessible for you to do when you're at home and off duty. And I think it's also important, like day one, I know you guys only get two days to be off sometimes. And I know you guys come home at night when you're at your base and not out. But day one of two days off, it's kind of a wash. It's like you're burnt out. You just don't have motivation. You know you need to get stuff done, but you kind of don't want you just don't want to yeah you just don't want to you just want to like sit there and chill and like do nothing you just want to just yeah breathe just want to breathe or you know what i have found before which i i experienced this i didn't really think it was a real thing until i did my first fire camp for eight days and i came home and i felt that feeling like there's you're anxious because you feel like you're forgetting something but you're tired constantly so you don't want to go do anything oh yeah it's terrible it's it's a it's a terrible feeling it's awful. And I looked at my husband and I go, oh my God, is this what you feel on day one? And he was like, yeah. I was like, I'm going to rip my skin off. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. That's the thing though. It's, and uh, it, it's pretty well explained in your book. And uh, yeah, that's, it was eye-opening for me, you know, that self-reflection thing I was talking about in your book. And uh, 
I really, really hope that I could use that for the future. And I yeah. hope that other people will pick up your book as well and use those tools that those you, you describe it so well. And I just, yeah, I think that we, people should just use that, you know? I think the other thing too is to know that even if, if you try all your tools and you try everything and it's not working, you need to get help. You exactly. need to seek help. This was going to be my next question, actually. That, that, that was perfect because that was going to segue into when it's time to see a yeah. pro. Okay, so all those things we've talked about, right? And, and whatever it is you pick for your list of, you know, your tools for your toolbox and you try them and you're just like, it's not helping. I still have anxiety or I'm still depressed or I still feel like on edge or I'm snapping at my kids way more than I need to. Um, and your significant other is telling you, you're angry all the time. What's wrong? It's time to probably get help, especially if it's over uh, a couple weeks. I always say past two weeks. If you're not any better, reach out and get help because it's not that you're sick or something's wrong, but an outside perspective like mine can help kind of just get you refocused. Kind of empty that cup, take out the garbage, so to speak. That's what, and that's what the therapist is. The, you don't have to have mental illness to see a therapist. I'm a neutral, non-judgmental person. I don't know you. So you're going to come in and you basically get to dump everything that you want to dump in my office and leave. And you get this relief, this sense of like, okay, I feel better. Like she didn't think I was crazy and I got to empty all this stuff out and I thought I was losing my mind, but she says I'm not. So whew, I feel much better. We all got shit to deal with. You know, we all have things that we need to take care of, yeah. but sometimes we need help. And I think that uh, someone who's in your position, especially someone who speaks our language is at mm -hmm. a very good position to actually help us take out the garbage. Yeah. And, and, and I always tell people like, once you establish a relationship with a clinician, I'll have guys that, you know, I'll see for a while, we'll get them comfortable and stable. And then I don't see them and they'll call me like three, four months. Hey, can I get an appointment? You know, I just had this call or I just really need to come in and vent to you. And I'm like, yeah, come on in. And it makes it easy because they already have a relationship with me and then they can just come in as needed. Yeah, they always uh, they have that rapport with you built too, and I think that's really another thing too that's important is just building that level of trust between yourself and yeah. the clinician. And if you don't know how to find a culturally competent clinician, you know, if you're like, yeah, I want to go see a clinician, but I don't know who knows fire, you know, how do I get one? Um, if you're not sure, a peer supporter will know. You know, reach out to a peer supporter in in the department and ask them because they have those resources they have that list you know i know nelda worked tirelessly to create a list and vet clinicians she would go out and interview them or talk to them on the phone to make sure that they were who they said they were she's put in a lot of work in that regard that's for damn sure yeah she she was the one that really got this thing turned around and working much better in the feds and so we need to just keep that momentum and you know, the peers really have a list of, for all states even. So, you know, if you're not sure and you know you need help, don't just call your EAP and say, I need a clinician because they're going to give you Joe Sally Blow clinician. Joe. Yeah. They're going to give you a Joe Blow clinician that, yeah, yeah. it's just not going to work. It's not going to be a No. And, and then what happens is they tell them, well, you know, we, I need a clinician that deals with trauma. 
Well, what I tell people is, guess what? We all got that class when we were getting our degrees on trauma. That doesn't mean that they can work with first responders. Well, that's, yeah, we experience it in a different aspect. Yeah. And trauma in the clinical world tended to be more about abuse than, you know, trauma from first responders. So, um, you know, if I've had a lot of people call EAP and they get burned and then they won't do it. So if you're not sure, don't just call EAP and think they're going to know who to give you that's, a, that's a culturally competent. Reach out to a peer supporter um, within the agency and they will be able to direct you to somebody that's more appropriate. Oh, absolutely. So with that being said, yes. let's talk about your book. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So fully involved. Yeah. What's the premise? Explain your book to our listeners here and why you wrote it. Okay. So why I wrote it, um, on the 31st of this month, my husband and I will be married 22 years. Congratulations. Thank you. We've been together 24. And when we got together, I was really young, you know, I was in my twenties. And like I said, I thought I knew what I was getting into, but man, I didn't. And we screwed things up a lot. Like we just, you know, I tried to do the whole typical mind reading, figuring out, I don't know what he wants. So I'm going to guess I'll walk on eggshells and then I'm not going to say anything that I am. So the premise of the book is, is that, oh my God, I realized from running a bunch of forest service calls, I would tell these guys, Hey, when you go home, here's some things to do to have a conversation with your significant other about this incident or about the job. And I would share some of my funny stories about being a wife and when my husband would come home and I'd have guys come up to me and say, how did you know my wife said that exact same thing to me? <laughs> and I started getting that a lot. And I was like, oh my God, we're all doing this. We're oh. all doing the same thing. Well, it's funny because like uh, it's... It it's more geared towards uh, like a structure perspective, but a lot of those things translate to the wildland. Yeah. You're, and you're right. The, there is the undertone of structure, but the relationship part is the same across the board. Absolutely. And so I realized finally that um, we, as fire families, there's, you know, marriages are hard enough as it is, but uh, fire families is another layer of difficulty and that we play by a different set of rules. However, somebody forgot to give us the rule book. You kind of got to figure it out yourself. Trial and error. And that's why, you know, divorce is the highest in cops and firemen. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So I wrote the book because I just wanted to give some uh, support to significant others out there trying to figure it out like I was and to provide some support and to just kind of help these relationships be better um, and communicate. I tell them, I, you know, I know in the book, I say it all a lot uh, uh, throughout the whole book is compromise and communicate biggest uh, keys we need. Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, you spell that out. It's a recurring theme throughout your entire book, but also I think it's important because it's a two way street. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's definitely a two way street. And I think uh, if you were to pick up this book, the average firefighter, maybe someone who's even freshly married, they're going to have just one more of those tools in their toolbox to communicate yeah. better, more effectively, and have a better relationship. That's my hope. It really is my hope. It's something that I'm very passionate about and um, that I, I'm on a mission, you know, to help as many marriages as I can. And so I do share funny stories. So it's not, it's a clinical 
uh, my clinical perspective, my own personal stories, and then my husband, which was uh, last minute, he added uh, the sections, his little parts in the chapters. Mm -hmm. And then my kids wrote a chapter about growing up in it. Yeah, Megan and Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you get everybody's opinion growing in the, uh, growing, uh, you know, being in a fire family, all everybody's perspectives. It's, it's, it's good though, because it's well-rounded. And, uh, like I said earlier, I just keep, I keep reiterating this fact and it's probably hammered down too many times, but I'm going to reiterate it again anyways, but <laughs> it opens up that level of awareness. Yeah. Also, that's, you know, the two way street as well. It's going to oh, be yeah. opening up stuff for your wife or your husband, or it's going to be opening up stuff for you as well. And, and that's what I've been hearing is like, even I uh, the only thing that I kick myself for is the title is a little narrow and that a lot of firefighters are like, oh, I can read this. And I was like, yeah, but you know, first book, don't know everything, but uh, it, oh, I think that it explains a lot of the behaviors and the things that we've talked about, you know, today about that happen kind of as an eye open, like, oh, that's why I do that. But also for the wives or the significant others, it. I think that it will give them what I've seen more compassion and understanding for why you guys act the way you do. Well, it's hard to explain what we do. I mean, the public doesn't understand what we do. No. Do you think our wives are going to fully or our husbands or our wives are going to fully understand what we no. do? You won't understand it until you walk a mile in our shoes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is you should, there's something for everybody in that book, you know, some piece you'll get from that. And, you know, the biggest thing too for me is is I took a lot of the things that were related to fire in my husband's career personally. Um, for a lot of years, I thought it was me. I thought I wasn't good enough or why can't I make him happy? And I didn't realize that it wasn't necessarily all about me. It was about the job and what was weighing on him and his pressures. And because we weren't communicating to each other, we didn't know. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, no matter what you say, you always take a part of this job home with you, no yeah. matter what. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have guys tell me, oh, no, I don't take the job home. I you call know, bullshit. You don't talk about the job at home, but the job goes home. Oh, yeah. I call bullshit on that one. It used, oh, if you say too. you don't take it home, yeah, you're, you're only lying to yourself. They try to tell me that, and I said lies. But I tell them, <laughs> listen, they say, oh, I don't want to burden my wife. You don't have to tell your significant other, your wife, husband, what you saw, but you can have a conversation about how it affected you. And that's not a burden. That's letting them in. You know, most firefighters, it's not something you do. It's something you, who you are. And if you aren't sharing this large part of you with your significant other, they're missing out on a really amazing part of who you guys are. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's another thing too, is like you struggle with that communication and uh, your book says, like it even gives you, it has an entire chapter on communication tools. That you and I use. have questionnaires. I even made a questionnaire uh, talking about the job. Like, what do you, how do you want me to address it? Do you want me to ask you about, you know, your shift or your assignment? Or do you want me to give you space? I, I created, you know, questions that you know, just to build that conversation because it's hard to listen. It's hard not to reply. Oh yeah. It's hard not to add to your two cents too. But even yeah. thus, even thus for the firefighter in the relationship, it's even hard to like not put your two cents about the bullshit that's going on in the house. Oh, I love that. Just... When I'm running things, cause I was a stay home mom for years oh, going yeah. to school. Raising and two uh, kids. I always loved when he came home and thought he, he knew how to do it better than I did. 
Oh, I bet you guys, well, yeah, it says blatantly in your book that you guys just butted heads about Oh, that. yeah, we butted heads a lot. But, you know, it's just him wanting to help and me not thinking it was him wanting to help me, thinking he's interjecting and thinking I don't do it good enough. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to be a dad and husband. Yeah, which is understandable. Yeah. So hopefully the activities and uh, I also talk, now, I just want to be clear, too, if anybody's listening to this, that even though I lay out what, uh, you know, that there's biological reasons you guys act this way, it is not a get-out-of-jail-free card to be a jerk. It's not, you're not going to say, hey, she says in the book, I can't help it. No, that's not Bullshit, that and that's the whole point of the book, is it's an awareness tool. It's an exercise in self-awareness. On both co- parts. Co-awareness, even. Yeah, because my thing is, is I was I got to the point where I didn't have empathy and he'd come home and say, oh, I didn't sleep last night. I have two kids. I didn't sleep either. Why is your tired more important than my tired? Mm-hmm. Right? It became this competition. So what we had to do is, is he had to take a step in and realize, all right, I don't need to always say something about the dishes or the kids' shoes. And I needed to take a step in and be like, okay, I need to have a little bit of empathy on day one at least. You know, that he's not going to be fully engaged and that's okay. Oh, absolutely. It's just like with that fully, that wholly engaged thing too. It's like when that, uh, that, that part of the book where you guys went to Jamaica. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he finally like, it took him three, what was it? Three days to three days, three days. Yeah. To get used to it and have like a schedule and And then volleyball, ten and four. (laughs) I was like, Hey, there's my husband. This is the guy I married. Uh, but it did, it took him. It took him three days to like let go and just like not feel like he had to do something. Yeah, and I we all struggle with that. Whether you know you're a husband or a wife, uh, if you're a firefighter, it takes mm-hmm. time. You gotta know, switch that work brain off, and then also you constantly seek purpose. So once you find that purpose, you and it's okay to, to just do nothing. I struggle with that. <laughs> I know. My husband has been working on it, you know, and uh, I, because I am on him now all the time, I've got him finally. One of our new hobbies that we've come up with, probably because we're getting older, but is uh, uh, he will watch, we pick different Netflix series together that we like, that I think he'll like, and we, I, I save them. I don't watch them without him, and so when he comes home, he's like, oh, let's watch one of our shows, you know, to catch up on the series, and and that's been really good for both of us. And it's good to see him sit down and relax. It is nice. But I try to do that same thing with my wife with uh, the yes. new season of, uh, what is that, Stranger Things? Oh, yeah. She watched the whole damn thing without me. Oh, see, I used to do that, but <laughs> I've gotten better. It's really hard. I have to have something else. Um, but I've gotten better about waiting for him. Mm. I did just last week sneak one, but I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to watch it with him like I never saw it. I'm totally calling my <laughs> wife out on this Stranger Things thing. Cause she just cleared the whole like season, season three without me. I was like so bummed. I was like, damn it, that was going to be our activity. But then again, you know, I can't blame her. I can't get mad I at her because I was gone for a month. I was gone. That's why I have other ones. I have ones that are like... That ones I know he wouldn't like, and then ones I know. And that's just been kind of a cool thing that we've started doing, you know, to get him to practice that wind down. And trust me, it's thank goodness for like the pause button because he'll jump up like five million times. And I'm like, I'll pause it. He'll be like, no, 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 I'll be right back. No, I'll wait for you. No, you're going to go in the garage and start looking for your chainsaw. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or go fold uh, laundry or pack your bag. I don't know. But, you know, it's just hard to sit. 
yeah, it, it's it's hard. I'm I'm constantly a busy body too, and uh, simple things like that help. It's a good, you know, and as you get later in your career, you know, retirement, you have to transition to retirement. You can't just think, you know, I think I'm going to just, I'm going to retire in six months and I'm just going to fish or I'm going to sleep in or, you know, I'm just going to relax. That only works for like maybe a couple months and then you're going to be pulling your hair out because you didn't plan anything and you're bored out of your mind. And there's the importance of a side hustle too. I like how side tying this all very in. important. Oh, yeah, tying this all into previous episodes. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I keep telling my husband, he could have retired last year, but because I work so much now, he's like, what am I, what am I going to do? You know, cause he started early. So he's only 54. So, and he's a BC, so he can stay, but I keep telling him, what are you going to do though? When we retire, uh, are you going to teach, you know, you need to have something planned. Yeah. And that's, you got to figure something out, what, whatever yeah. you enjoy, find something that you enjoy and use it. Like, yeah, because you guys just retiring and doing nothing is, is never going to work. I'd lose my mind and my wife yes. would probably lose her mind as well. Besides the fact that I need the transition. I don't even know how I'm going to deal with having them home every day. My wife struggles during the winter. She's like, go to work. Go go do something. Because she's so used to like, you know, being gone for you know six months out of the year. Then I come home and it's like a kind of a culture shock. So. Absolutely. You guys don't, firefighters don't marry weak people. You can't, we have to be independent. So we like our, our time when you guys aren't around. And so when you guys are around a lot, it kind of messes up the, the, the flow. <laughs> it gets into the, uh, it gets out of the normal. It's it out of the yeah. ordinary. So it, it does. That's cool though. But I really enjoyed your book. Um, where can we find your book? It is on Amazon. Um, it you just have if you just put in fully involved, it will come up. Um, so it's not. I know I've got a lot of people ask me about audibles. I haven't done audibles because the way I feel and who I am. Uh, if we do the audibles, I want it to be my family that does it. You know, I don't want some people hire people to do it. That's a good concept, though. I think that would be kind of cool to see this book from yeah. the actual point of view of the kids yourself and your husband yeah and everybody and my son-in-law does sound production and he says he can do it for us you know and so um I, I need to do it everybody keeps asking me about it and i've just been kind of apprehensive about it the whole audible thing i uh hear my voice on a on a book so i i'm going to do it though um so but it's on kindle and paperback hey everybody hates their own voice but you should do it I, definitely I know. And, and I want to do it with the family because I think it would be kind of cool that you would hear the dialogue between my husband and I, because a lot of people think it's funny, the banter in the book between oh, yeah. us. Well, that you get the actual true inflection of that banter back and forth. Yeah. And that's and that is our relationship. We do have pretty good banter and humor in our relationship. And I think that's what pretty much saved us to get to this point through the hard times is we have a really good sense of humor. Oh yeah, you got to give each other shit, or else what's the point? What's the point? You know, it's my job to humble him, <laughs> you <gotta laughs> to keep, keep him, him on check, his toes, right? right? <laughs> you definitely got to keep him up. My wife certainly keeps me in check, that's for sure. Yeah, the best thing that ever happened to me so far is, uh, you know, my husband is pretty respected in the fire community because he's been doing it and he's on the team, and he was worked for CDF years ago. But um, I ran a, I ran a bunch of calls with Forest Service, and my husband was on a call up north. 
and they, he was going on a helicopter ride and some, he was giving his name and somebody turned around and was like, Oh, are you Minta's husband? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've arrived. I'm not Jeff's wife anymore. He is Minda's husband. <laughs> there you go. See? <laughs> so I always get people to go find him on calls and be like, hey, ask him if you're if that's Minda's husband. That's funny. Oh man. That's good banter. That's good though. That's good. Keeps both yeah. guys humble. That's for sure. So coming to the end of the show here. Um Whenever I end a show, I typically uh, give the offer to give a uh, a shout out or like ho- uh, a shout out to a homie, a hero, a mentor, anybody like that. So who's your homie, hero, mentor, pastor, present? Oh, my goodness. That's, anybody. anybody I, I've been asked that question. Um, you know, there were several mentors. They won't listen. They don't listen to this because they're not fire, but clinicians that really taught me, you know, humility and reminding me that that this mission has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the person sitting in my office needing help or sitting across from me. And so uh, a lot of the clinicians in the, my past have taught me some humility. Um, and the peers, I have to say, honestly, the peers from the Fed, the Fed side um, and Nelda and the SISM really taught me so much about you know, being out in the field and, you know, adapting to these large scale incidents and um, making the system better. And so I really do give credit to the feds for their peer support for really molding me and helping me kind of hone in on my skill in a different way. That's awesome. Yeah. So I also want to take the time to uh, thank you for being a part of uh, a much needed program working with Nelda, working with CISM, working with even some of our uh, local folks and doing the things that need to be done, especially in times that have, that are absolutely critical for yeah. our firefighters. Yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's an honor for me, actually. You know, it does more for me that I can help you guys in any way I can. So thank you. <laughs> well, it's awesome that we have you on the show. So I think that's the time point. Uh, yep. thanks for coming on the show and talking about mental health and talking about romance and love and relationships <laughs> and your book. It was awesome. I, I really appreciate it. Definitely. No, thank some... you for having me. I, I'm glad that I got to be on a, you know, a fire podcast, you know, having yeah. mental health. That's, that's pretty cool. So I feel, thank you. It's fun. Awesome. Well guys, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you can pick up her book on Amazon. That's where I got my copy. And uh, yeah, fully involved by Dr. Minda O's. Minda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Take care, guys. See ya. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Episode number 13 in the books with Dr. Minda O's. Minda, I just want to say thank you for coming by and uh, sharing your professional insight as to what the perspective is from the clinician. It's definitely interesting to see your point of view, and uh, I think that what you have said and shared on this episode is utterly invaluable to the people that are uh, listening. Definitely shared some great tools from uh, the toolbox of mental health that we could utilize in the future. 
talked about EMDR, some uh, self-care, when it's time to see a pro. And uh, yeah, I think uh, people are going to take a lot of value in that. So thank you. And I think uh, it goes without saying that the people on the ground deeply, deeply appreciate what you're doing for us. So on behalf of the fire community, thank you. Covered a lot of topics, uh, primarily mental health, obviously. That was the premise of the entire show. But uh, yeah, we talked about PTSI, PTSD, uh, burnout and compassion fatigue, and uh, kind of delved into a little bit of the psyche of the wildland firefighter. It was fun. Yeah, it was super fun. For you guys listening, definitely uh, check out her book. Uh, there's another her book, Fully Involved. It's a guide for being in a relationship with a firefighter. It's definitely one of those tools that you could throw in your toolbox to uh, learn how to communicate better with your spouse. Um, I picked one up, and yeah, my wife is starting to read it too, and she enjoys the shit out of it. And it kind of uh, goes into depth as to explaining the way that we are. So definitely check out that book, Fully Involved. So I just want to say thank you guys for uh, sharing the good word of the Anchor Point podcast. I definitely appreciate that. And uh, yeah, keep doing it. Keep tagging us in your epic photos and your epic videos. We'll uh, definitely feature you guys if you do so. So keep on doing what you guys are doing in Facebook and Instagram. Also follow us on Twitter. Not really too active on Twitter, but uh, probably because I don't really care to use Twitter. But I occasionally get on there. So yeah, follow us on Twitter too. Oh, I got something for you guys. By the way, swing by iTunes and write us a review. And there's an incentive to do this now. So remember how I was mentioning Hotshot Brewery in the uh, unofficial, official sponsor of the Anchor Point podcast? Well, we teamed up and we are doing a little bit of a contest. It's going to be funny. It better be funny because I have nothing but great expectations for you guys to write the funniest review on my iTunes. So basically it's super easy and all you have to do is go down to iTunes, write us a five-star review and the two funniest five-star reviews gets a $25 gift certificate from Hotshot Brewery and a grip of stickers from the Anchor Point Podcast. Get your submissions in by September 6th. That's when we're going to pull our winner. So head over to iTunes Take a screenshot of your review, post it on Instagram, tag Hotshot Brewery and me. That's going to help us kind of filter out what we need to do. It's going to be hilarious. So, five-star funny reviews. Get creative. Get wild. Good luck, guys. Thanks for listening to the point.